Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I am your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF, and I am once again reunited with my partner, PFF's lead fantasy analyst, the great Nathan Yonke. Nate, how are you doing on this fine Monday morning? Good morning. I'm doing well. It's nice that we're a couple weeks into the season now, so now finally back into that routine a little bit more. I can start getting things done a little bit quicker, and everything's running a little smoother, so... Uh, glad to see that we had another fun day of football yesterday. That was Dolphins. Oh, my God. That was unbelievable. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have to talk about the Dolphins. But, man, yeah, another wild one uh, in the NFL this weekend. Never really a shortage of storylines to talk about, right? And, and we'll get into the main ones, I think, from this Sunday slate of games. And, you know, I think because usage and 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 Uh, Like for each team, it kind of solidifies here in these early weeks of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, We're more familiar kind of with what to expect. So we don't necessarily need to go through every game and rehash kind of the same info uh, each week. So instead, what we'll be doing, we're going to focus more on the the top takeaways um, kind of style of show here for our Monday recaps to make sure that we give the time to the information that needs it most, the things that have changed, the new information that we're looking at. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to talking about it and getting into it because, yeah, there's some fun ones in here. Uh, but before we dive in, we do have to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor, Fabric by Gerber Life. Fall is all about the back to school and back to routine checklist. And the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash fantasy. That's meetfabric.com slash fantasy. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash fantasy. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Nate, let's get into it here. Uh, and first off, I have to say, I respect the decision and the willpower to t- to it, that it takes to keep Taylor Swift off of the main takeaways for this week, because <laughs> God knows no other news outlet can help themselves but talk about it. So shout out to you for resisting the urge there. Um, and, and because of that, we get to start things off where we should. And that is with the high-flying dominant Miami offense scoring a ridiculous 70 points in this game. Uh, This was a massacre of the Broncos defense, even without Jalen Waddell and Miami's running backs combining for eight total touchdowns on the day. So, Nate, let's start out with one of the absolute studs of week three. Devin A. Chain, the rookie, made his impact felt this week in a big way. So what led to him posting such massive numbers in this game? Yeah, something that I like that we're doing, just my top 10 takeaways is we can dig a little bit deeper into some of this stuff. And it was great to see with A-Chain because going back these last two months or so, like we were high on him at the start of draft season. Then he suffered his injury. Um, and that was after he was started the season fifth on the Dolphins running back depth chart. Um, and then it really took a lot of injuries for A-Chain to start seeing playing time. So this was really surprising to me since... Jeff Wilson is still on injured reserve. Uh, they got rid of Miles Gaskin at the start of the season, and then Salvin Ahmed uh, suffered an injury last week. Uh, A-Chain was inactive week one. He was active for week two, but he did not see an offensive snap until Ahmed suffered his injury. 
So I didn't think the Dolphins were all that high on A-chain at the moment. So seeing him see this significant playing time in this game was huge, even though it was a blowout victory. It wasn't that A-chain only played because it was a blowout. He started rotating in within the second drive. He was seeing roughly the same amount of playing time as Raheem Mostert. So it seemed like this really became a two-man backfield rather than Mostert being the clear starter, A-chain being the clear backup. Um, so then he just ran the ball a ton this game. He probably ran the ball more late in the game just because Miami ran so many plays and Raheem Mostert uh, over the age of 30. And even though focusing on A-chain since he's a waiver wire target, Mostert, this was huge for him too. He's never really been that much of a receiving back throughout his career. Uh, really started seeing more work as a receiver last year in Miami. Um, has now posted two games only in his career with over four receptions. Both of them have occurred over the age of 30. So pretty remarkable for Mostert, who caught, I believe, was seven passes in this game. But A-Chain, I am concerned a little bit about what he can do long-term just because I feel like this will be a crowded backfield. Jeff Wilson will be able to come off of injured reserve uh, after one more game, and then Ahmed should be healthy again. So we could see this be a three-man or four-man rotation at running back going forward, but I still think A-Chain has to be the player that at running back you're targeting off the waiver wire just because if someone is capable of getting four touchdowns in a game, then you definitely want him on your roster. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely nice to see. And like you said, 45% of the team running back carries led the team. Now, you did mention it, but Miami obviously blowing the Broncos out in, in this one. So I don't think Raheem Mostert took any carries in the fourth quarter at all. So that kind of helped A-Chain get a little bit of a workload uh, as, as well there. But 11.3 yards per carry, 6.2 yards after contact per attempt. 22% explosive rush rate. Um, so you kind of have to give like some credit to here to the Miami run blocking as well. They generated 91 yards before contact for Devin A-Chain, um, who was averaging 5.1 yards before contact per attempt and letting him kind of get up to that high end full speed and, and break through. I think that makes a huge difference for a player as fast as him because the defense just doesn't have the time to close on him and, and contain him more when he's able to break away like that. So I think the main thing here is him just being that heavily involved and, and we'll see what happens when, yeah, Jeff Wilson and Salvin Ahmed kind of come back, but if they're going to blow teams out here, then they're, they're absolutely game scripts where a chain could get enough reps to, to, to have uh, fantasy relevance, right? And and rip off a few of these big runs that that lead to touchdowns or big plays. So excited to see what that usage is going forward. But I think as somebody that, you know, wasn't getting drafted later in the year because of the depth chart, the way it shook out, um, or later in the off season, I should say, I think, you know, somebody worth rostering at this point, just seeing what he can do there in Miami. So potential waiver wire ad there, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Top running back waiver wire option this week. And I will note, if you're looking at the snap counts for this game for both running back or other positions, uh, they did put in backups at the end of the game. So Chris Brooks, the third running back on the depth chart for this game, saw all his work late in the game. So not worried about Chris Brooks at all long term. And like, don't look at just percentage of offensive snaps for A-Chain because you have to take into account the fact that they were blowing the Broncos out so much that they were putting in the backups at the bottom of the depth chart at the end of the game yeah for sure um all right well let's head to cleveland where obviously we're without nick chubb so everyone's kind of top waiver ad jerome ford gets the spotlight here um the team also brought back kareem hunt this week so 
Nate, with Chubb out, what did the Browns' backfield uh, look like in week three? It looked roughly what we expected. The start of the game was really rough for Ford since uh, the Browns had five different players get a carry before Ford saw his first carry, which was kind of bizarre since they like to have runs with their wide receivers as well as their backup running backs. But Ford did score two touchdowns in this game, so anyone who did trust him despite the tough matchup uh, were rewarded for this game. But the usage was about what you would expect. He saw the majority of the early down work, majority of the third down work, a lot of the short yardage and goal line work as well. So I think as a Ford fantasy manager you should be pretty happy about what happened in this game and what can happen going forward i know they did say before this game that hunt would be on a snap count but we also saw pierre strong pretty involved in the offense as well so i wouldn't be surprised if once hunt starts seeing more playing time it's uh strong who sees the decrease in snaps rather than ford seeing the decrease in snaps so uh pretty positive overall I also would note that um, looking at the schedule going forward, they do have a couple of tough matchups um, in the upcoming weeks, but then the schedule gets a little bit easier later on. So there is a chance that Ford could have a pretty bad game in the next week or two, and that's probably going to be a good time to buy low on him. Yeah, that's a good call. And and like you said, we, we had kind of warned about the matchup too in, in the preview show, right? The Tennessee's um, run defense was very strong. And and look, they, they limited him to 1.8 yards per carry. He was getting negative 13 yards before contact. The, the Titans D-line, I think, gave the Browns probably their toughest matchup of that day because the rest of the team sure didn't do much. But Ford's negative 13 yards before contact meant that 172% of his 18 total rushing yards came after contact, which is just a fun fact. But yeah, usage there is strong, right? There will be better matchups eventually for to plug Ford into lineups. But if it wasn't for those two touchdowns, luckily he got those in there because that definitely salvaged his day. But it, it was tough going here against a smothering Titans run defense. Um, it was nice to see 59%, you know, uh, route participation for, for uh, Jerome Ford, which is far and away the lead for the Cleveland running backs. Um, obviously nice to see there. But yeah, you do wonder if Kareem Hunt kind of gets worked in a little bit more as the, the weeks go on here in that kind of role. So um, yeah, I, I did like the usage, at least for Jerome Ford in this game, even if it wasn't the most efficient game um, for those people that did start him. Two touchdowns was very nice. All right, and let's go on to another backfield here with another injured running back. David Montgomery was uh, inactive for this game. We had talked about this a fair bit last week, how we were potentially concerned that the Lions offensive scheme wouldn't necessarily allow Jameer Gibbs to see like a significantly different workload and that Craig Reynolds could potentially still factor in heavily. Uh, but, but, but not so fast. It did come out shortly before the game that Gibbs would see a significant workload increase. So Nate, was it true? How did the Lions backfield shake out with uh, no David Montgomery in the lineup? Uh, he definitely did see that increase in usage, that career highs and carries with 17, rushing yards with 80. I find it a little bizarre how they've been using Gibbs so far this season. Um, in the first week going back that far, um, Gibbs was used more as a rusher than as a receiver, where I expected, if anything, his role would be more as a receiving back. Uh, then week two, we finally saw him get used a lot more as a receiver. He saw plenty of targets. David Montgomery was the early down back. Gibbs a late down back and things were kind of what we expected them to be. And then once Craig Reynolds uh, entered the conversation, Reynolds was playing more on early downs in week two. 
um, that we saw things kind of flip again this week and Gibbs was more used on the early downs and it was Reynolds that was used in the two minute drill half the time on third downs. So it was more Gibbs, the early down back and Reynolds, the passing down back, even though I kind of expected it to be the opposite of that. So uh, Gibbs is able to produce fantasy production either way. He can get it on the ground or as a receiver. Um, ideally for fantasy managers, he's able to be the primary back on both early downs and third downs. And then he could start potentially being a top 10 fantasy running back going forward. But I'll be curious to see how this backfield continues to evolve and how they continue to use Gibbs. And maybe it'll be a matchup based thing on how they're using him, or maybe they're just want to have him do different things each week, but don't not put too much on his plate. Um, we'll also note uh, Zonovan Knight was caught up, uh, added to the roster earlier in the week. He did see a little bit of playing time as well, uh, primarily on early downs. So, um, a little surprising they had a third back involved as well, and maybe if Knight's playing well, he'll overtake Reynolds on the depth chart since we did see Reynolds, while he's been on the roster for a couple years, there were times where he fell to fourth on the depth chart and then back to third. So it, there's at least a chance Knight could work his way up. So I did view Reynolds as a waiver wire target a week ago. I'm a lot less high on that at the moment, even though with how Detroit's changed their running backs, that could obviously change again. But uh, Gibbs, happy to keep him in my starting lineups going forward. And Reynolds, if you did pick him up on my advice last week, I'm sorry. And you can probably cut him this week. Fair. Yeah. I mean, it, look, it, it was something that was a, more of a tendency of the Lions that we kind of leaned into and, and expected. But it was nice to see that they leaned into Jameer Gibbs a little bit more this week. 60% of the total offensive snaps, like you said, he hadn't cracked 50% of the team snaps in the previous two weeks. 71% of the team running get back carries. 50% route participation only saw the one target in the passing games, but in the passing game, but not too concerned about that considering like his overall usage. He did handle the goal line work as well, which I think is, is significant for, for a player like that. And, um, I know Goff took one in himself, a rushing touchdown near the goal line on an option where Gibbs was was in there, which led to the touchdown. So um, there will be opportunity there for Gibbs. This is a, a decent offense here in Detroit. And as long as he's kind of getting that usage and uh, as long as David Montgomery continues to be inactive, I think this is a, definitely a positive um, note and, and progress for Jameer Gibbs here in, in week three. Um, all right, more running back takeaways here. Uh, last week, Brees Hall only got four carries and uh, he made sure to comment on that after the game. So we had hoped for a potential squeaky wheel game for Brees Hall here in week three, especially considering uh, the ineffectiveness of Dalvin Cook so far. So Nate, did we get that Brees Hall usage that we had hoped for this week? Oh uh, yeah, it definitely took steps in the right direction. It's probably still not all of the way of what we would hope for with Hall, but um, it was definitely progress. The first two weeks we saw him basically split snaps on early downs with Dalvin Cook and then Michael Carter would take the third down snaps. Uh, this week, Hall was taking the majority of the early down work, so Cook saw a decrease in playing time on early downs. Um, we knew he would get more carries in this game just because the Jets ran a ridiculously low amount of plays last week. So even if how the Jets used their running backs didn't change this week, they would just play more snaps and he would get more carries that way. But um, he both got more carries because of the more snaps and because uh, they were using him more. So he had 12 carries in this game. It only led to 18 yards. Uh, he had negative 0.3 yards before contact per carry. So decent amount of that had to do with the offensive line. Um, along with seeing more early 
down work. He also saw a couple of snaps on third down as well, which is a role that he eventually got to last season where he was playing a lot on third downs. Uh, Carter still played the majority of the third down work, but it was still a lot more than what we saw last week. So um, definitely steps in the right direction, still not seeing as much playing time as he was seeing in his peak last year. But I think he can probably work his way to that point, start seeing even a higher majority of snaps on early downs, as well as taking over a lot more of the third down work. So definitely great to see for Hall, even though it wasn't a great game for anyone who started him this week. But I think this is a good sign that he can produce more going forward. Yeah, I'm with you. It was encouraging usage, right? He's still, again, it's only three weeks into the season him coming off of that ACL tear, um, but 60% of the team running back carries is, is nice and then took all four snaps and goal-to-go situations. Didn't get any carries or targets there, but he's he's being involved in that situation over Dalvin Cook, which is nice as well. Um, just 28% route, route participation, so still not fully unleashed here, but at least some progress for Hall. Um, he was pretty inefficient in this game like you said especially considering what we saw week one from him but this this was a big difference uh against the patriots just 1.4 yards per carry no explosive uh runs on on 12 attempts so hopefully as that usage kind of increases and and as a fantasy manager you know as fantasy managers begin to kind of trust him more in lineups we'll get to see the Brees hall that we saw in week one and then obviously prior to the injury last year and then especially considering the the Dalvin Cook usage in this game, I mean, how much longer do you think Dalvin Cook is worth rostering at this point? Um, he probably can be cut. I know in plenty of leagues it's fine to keep uh, running backs around his handcuffs, but I think Cook at this point has lost all of his value as a potential standalone option. So you can keep him if you want to keep him as a handcuff because there's no other good options on the running back waiver wire, but fine to get rid of him. I also think one note with the Jets running backs as well, it'll be interesting to see if Zach Wilson continues to be the quarterback or if they do make a change at some point. Uh, it's something where in the past couple of years, we would see the running backs barely see any targets when Wilson was quarterback in the second they made a change. Regardless of who the change was to, we started seeing the running back targets, whoever it was in the backfield explode. So um, there's a chance that Hall also needs a quarterback change to fully reach his potential, but it's certainly possible based on how Zach Wilson has been playing so far this year, despite what the team has said about him. But we've always seen teams back their quarterback until they don't anymore. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been rough. There were there was even I think um, Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz rumors before the before the game this week that that they could bring them in. I man, it, it's not been good for Zach Wilson so far this year. So hopefully things turn around for that Jets offense because there's definitely some players that we liked there going into the year. Obviously with Aaron Rodgers getting hurt, that definitely changed uh, in a big way. But um, let, let's talk about one more running back situation here before we go on to the other positions. And uh, we would certainly forgive anyone who wasn't paying much attention to this game, at least on the Bears side of things, as the offense continues to look hashtag not good. Um, there was a slight shift worth noting here between Khalil Herbert and rookie Roshan Johnson. So, Nate, what are things looking like with this Chicago backfield after this week? Uh, so we again saw it be primarily a two-man backfield. We saw Deonta Foreman be a healthy and active last week, and that occurred again this week. We've just seen Johnson continue to creep closer and closer to this being a 50-50 backfield rather than Herbert being the clear starter and Johnson the clear backup. Uh, we had also seen in previous weeks that Herbert would be the clear primary running back on early downs, Johnson the clear primary running back on passing downs, 
And those lines blurred significantly in this game. Um, Johnson saw plenty of work on early downs. Uh, Herbert saw the majority of work on third downs, although Johnson still saw the majority of work on in the two-minute drill. But the two backs could be used in any situation, which when you see this kind of um, fluidity in terms of running back usage and the fact that uh, both of them can be used in any situation, that means that if one running back starts playing a lot better than the other running back, we could get to a situation where one is playing 60, 65, 70% of offensive snaps and being the primary running back in all situations, in which case you probably have a fantasy starter there. So Johnson is someone that um, he's been creeping close and closer to 50%. So based on how things are going so far, it wouldn't be all that surprising for me to see Johnson overtake Herbert. And just in terms of the box score stats, we saw Johnson outperform Herbert in this one. Um, more rushing yards on one or one more carry and then receiving both have the same number of receptions. Johnson had more receiving yards. So certainly possible. We see Johnson overtake Herbert as soon as next week, but could happen anytime. Um, probably want the bears offense playing better in general before you're really trusting any of these bears running backs, but it's definitely something worth monitoring since it's a long season and uh, Johnson could certainly produce later in the season, even if it's not over these next couple weeks. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing, right? Like, it, it, if this Bears offense ever figures things out, and, and to be fair, I, I know things look like super bleak with this team right now, but it is only week three. There's, there's definitely a chance that things turn around here for them, or at the very least get, you know, some fantasy relevance out of this offense. But I know it, it's tough to watch at this point. So I, I get if there isn't anybody particularly excited about targeting anyone on this Bears offense, but it's definitely worth paying attention to here as Roshan Johnson kind of starts to emerge among the rubble here in Chicago. It was nice to see him get a few more carry or one, at least one more carry um, than Khalil Herbert. I know this game again was a blowout. So um, we'll see how much that continues going forward. But again, like you said, there's opportunity here for Roshan Johnson to kind of take over as he's been more efficient and effective than Khalil Herbert so far, um, which I think does matter overall in trying to get this offense going again. Um, so yeah, we'll, We'll definitely see how that goes. Um, a reminder, anybody watching on the YouTube uh, live stream, please like and subscribe to the videos. We greatly appreciate it. It helps us help you going forward. So uh, we appreciate that very much. Um, I do want to take a quick ad break here before we go on to the other positions and give a shout out to our friends over at DraftKings. We're back with another week of football and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers could bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action, so download the app now and sign up with code PFF. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpp.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Blue Hill Casino and Resort. Licensed partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario, see draft, uh, Sportsbook dot draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources bonus bets expire seven days after issuance eligibility and deposit restrictions apply um 
Okay. Wow. That is, that is a lot there. Uh, a mouthful for, for, <laughs> but uh, we got through it. All right. Enough about the running backs. Uh, as fun as they are to discuss, there are some other positions worth covering. So let's get on to some wide receivers here and start with the chargers where Mike Williams, who was having a great game before dealing with a knee injury of some sort, we don't know for sure, but he had to be helped off the field, carted to the locker room even spotted in a leg brace after the game. I know Ian Rappaport reporting that it is feared to be a serious, potentially season-ending knee injury for Mike Williams. Uh, Rap Sheet went out of his way to mention first-round rookie Quinton Johnston, but that wasn't necessarily what we saw in this game. So, Nate, with Mike Williams going down, what did this wide receiver room look like uh, with him out of the picture? So we started the game, of course, with uh, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams as the Main wide receivers with Joshua Palmer taking most of the snaps in 11 or 11 personnel. Uh, Keenan Allen, also worth noting, had an excellent game in this one. 18 receptions, I believe it was, setting a lot of career highs and an already pretty strong career. So great to see that out of Allen. But Mike Williams, like you said, also off to a great start. Seven catches for 121 yards and a touchdown. The Chargers offense just in general looking very good, even without Austin Eckler in the lineup. But uh, once Williams went down, we did see Joshua Palmer uh, start to see more playing time. He played 11 of the 13 possible snaps over the rest of the game. So definitely expect Palmer to be a starter in the Chargers offense, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, we saw this a lot last year as well with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen dealing with lots of injuries throughout the season. So fully expect Palmer to be ready to overtake or to take those snaps, and I think he's definitely someone worth targeting on the waiver wire and targeting pretty heavily considering either Williams will be out a significant amount of time or the entire season. Um, then Quinton Johnston, their first-round pick, um, he was someone that I was kind of interested going into the game since I look at the trends and uh, how much people are on rosters, especially on ESPN, and he had dipped below the 50% threshold that I typically use for uh, writing my waiver wire article, but... Um, Johnston already was seeing more playing time before the injury happened than he had seen last week. Uh, saw 12 out of 51 snaps while Williams was still healthy compared to only playing 10 snaps all of last week. So they were trying to get him at least slightly more involved. Um, once the injury happened, it wasn't just Johnston taking over as a third receiver. Both he and Darius Davis saw some playing time. Uh, some of Davis's playing time was more near the end of the game, a little bit more uh, in running formations here and there. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Davis also be involved. So I don't think Johnston is going to jump entirely into being the third or the clear third wide receiver. Uh, they also have plenty of tight ends they like, so they can use plenty of 12 personnel as well. So Johnston, I definitely want him on the roster. He shouldn't be left on the waiver wire just because he's a first round pick. Yeah, things might not always work out at the start of the season, but we were just talking about Devin A. Chain at the beginning of this. He was not off to a great start to start the season. Um, if you look at the first like three rounds of running backs or so, you could argue that he was off to the worst start of his career so far. Now he's jumped significantly. So Johnston is fully capable of making that at some point over the course of the season. And now he's going to be getting at least a little bit more playing time. So he should have more opportunities to remind us all why he was a first round pick. So uh, definitely prioritizing Palmer the most, because we know he's going to be the starter and we know uh, that he was able to perform at times last year as a starter and the offense is playing so well this year, but Johnson is also someone who should be on rosters for his potential. 
Yeah, for sure. Especially just with this offense alone, right? Josh Palmer, um, a 21% target rate in this game, but this included a a 43% deep target rate, which wasn't really like a big part of his game last year, was more of a Mike Williams thing. So three targets of 20 plus yards downfield for Palmer in this game, posted an excellent 91.0 receiving grade on those throws, thanks to two catches for 59 yards and a score. He had that um, the touchdown that was particularly nice, making the adjustment on the tipped ball behind him to bring it in with one hand. So that was nice to see. But like you said, this Chargers offense is one to target the receiving weapons in. They rank second in positive EPA per play rate so far this season behind only Miami. Um, There's, I think, a lot of opportunity here for a player who emerges as the number two option next to Keenan Allen, even the number three option, like you mentioned, Quinton Johnston. So these guys should both absolutely be uh, waiver priorities at this point, just considering the offense that they're playing in. Justin Herbert threw for over 400 yards um, this past week, and uh, they're likely to be still a very pass-heavy team kind of going forward. All right, uh, moving on from one pass-savvy team to one that is maybe not so much, uh, the Tennessee Titans here. We did see DeAndre Hopkins uh, again in this game, but Nate, maybe not to his full workload that uh, we've been used to for DeAndre Hopkins. So what did the usage look like uh, for this Tennessee uh, passing offense? Uh, Yeah, I'd say this was a decent week for a lot of other wide receivers who were injured. We saw Jerry Judy see more playing time. We saw the Raiders wide receivers last night. Uh, There were concerns earlier in the week, and they both saw the usual workload. But Hopkins, out of all the wide receivers who have been limited in the last couple weeks but were playing in this game or playing this week, he was the one that remained a little more limited than I thought we might see. Um, Last week, he was mostly used in 11 personnel, but not too much in other situations. Um, In this game, Tennessee basically stayed in 11 personnel the entire game, so it wasn't so much personnel-based, but they were still rotating him out more than they were in Week 1 and more than I think we'd expect in general. Um, That didn't stop him from leading the team in targets with 7, but he only brought in 3 of those passes for 48 yards, so um, this seems like an injury that could linger a little bit. He was... Um, He was a full participant in practice on Wednesday, then he was limited Thursday, then he did not participate on Friday, so that's kind of the opposite direction of what you want to be seeing, especially after he missed all of practice the previous week. So ideally, this doesn't linger on too long, but while it's lingering, I might be a little bit concerned um, whether or not you're starting him probably will depend completely on the other wide receivers on your roster and how many you're starting, but... I don't think it's out of the question to consider benching him if you have better options in a week, and especially with the Titans offense in general, just not really doing that much in general. So maybe it might take a change at quarterback or some other change in order for the offense to start performing better. But until that point, I'll probably be a little bit concerned on Hopkins and at least keeping an eye on how the situation is progressing. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I mean, the, the other thing too, I thought that was interesting. Hopkins only played two snaps uh, in, in the entire fourth quarter as well, or two receiving snaps, I think it was. But the Titans were getting dusted even by that point. It was pretty clear they weren't going to be in this game. Hopkins still decent target rate, twenty four percent when he was on the field. Interestingly, Traylon Burks uh, even surpassed that with a twenty six point one percent target rate. So six targets on the day for him, but only hauled in one catch for five yards, and he did have two drops in there as well. So not great for Burks, but at least a positive to see they're utilizing him in the passing game. Um, but like you said, unfortunately, that that passing game it just isn't much to get the warm fuzzy feelings about coming off a 104 passing yard performance 
gives them now two games below 200 passing yards while last week you know it was fine even but even under 250 passing yards last week so feels like a kind of a realistic ceiling for them at this point was what we saw last week um tennessee's offense is also generating the lowest positive epa per play rate in the league right now at 32.9 percent through three games um interestingly the Bengals are only a few percentage points behind them uh or ahead of them i should say in 31st so we'll see if they can maybe bounce back this week but Bottom line, Titans offense has been arguably the most inefficient in the league to this point. So I'm, I'm sure they'll have better games and this Browns defense definitely continues to be legit smothering their opponents. So we'll see if things get better, but man, not, not a whole lot to love there with this Titans offense, even at the moment um, with Derrick Henry couldn't get going, anything going against the Browns, just 20 rushing yards for 1.8 per carry. Um, we did talk about this in the preview pod, but continuing to avoid matchups against the Browns defense, if we can afford to on a weekly basis, they get the Ravens next week. So that should be interesting. But yeah, this Tennessee offense, I think it might be more of a matchup-based thing kind of going forward, like you said, depending on who the other options are on your roster. But um, all right, let's 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 keep it going here and come back to this, uh, or go to this, yeah, the, come back to this Jets-Patriots game, focusing on New England this time who were another team facing a very good defense, uh, which didn't allow much fantasy production from the Patriots offense. So Nate, who is it on New England that you want to focus on here? I want to focus on Juju Smith-Schuster, someone who saw a surprisingly low amount of snaps the first two weeks of the season. Um, first week, he was just over 50%, not playing all that much in 11 personnel, so that was pretty concerning. It started to bounce back a little back in week two, but that was largely because Demario Douglas uh, was splitting time with Smith-Schuster in the first quarter, then he fumbled the ball, and then never got another offensive snap over the course of the rest of the game. Um, this week, we saw Smith-Schuster lead the wide receiver room in snaps. So um, just looking at that, it looked interesting. But the more I dug in, the more I thought this was not something that's going to be sustainable going forward. Um, New England ran 18 snaps out of 13 personnel. So one wide receiver, three tight ends on the field. Um, and Smith-Schuster was that solo tight end, 16 of those 18 plays, which is why he was receiving so many more snaps than some of the other wide receivers. But 13 personnel is not something I expect the Patriots to be using a ton going forward. They only used it six times over the first two games, did not use it at all last season. So I think this was largely just a, the Jets have, two great cornerbacks. What's a way to uh, try taking advantage of the Jets weaknesses on defense, give them something that they haven't seen on tape from the Patriots offense, something that they probably weren't preparing for. So this, in my opinion, is probably just a one-time thing of Smith Schuster seeing uh, so many more snaps than everyone else. Um, when you go back to just looking at the 11 personnel snaps, Demario Douglas still ran more routes out of 11 personnel than Smith Schuster did. So I expect Smith Schuster's snaps to uh, drop back down after this game. He was only targeted three times, uh, caught one pass for five yards. So that also isn't encouraging. So I am fine cutting Smith-Schuster off my roster if I have him anywhere. I don't believe I do anymore at this point. But um, I, at this point, not expecting a rebound from him. He could still have some good games here and there, but not seeing enough playing time. And if anything, I would expect players like Demario Douglas to start seeing more playing time as the season progresses. 
Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, it's just not encouraging numbers for, for Smith-Schuster, even after this week, 60% route participation on an average offense, 17% target rate. He's averaging below 30 receiving yards per game. There's there's just no real reason to be excited about him at this point. Um, Hunter Henry, Demario Douglas getting a higher percentage of their snaps in the slot, more so than Juju as well, which was thought to potentially be his role in this offense uh, coming into the year as their primary slot, but that hasn't really been the case so far. Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, still better fantasy options there. I would have no problem um, dropping Juju Smith-Schuster this week if anyone is still holding out hope or, or holding him on their rosters there, like you said. Um, all right, let's move on to the tight ends. And the surprise of the weekend, in my opinion, the Arizona Cardinals, who defeated the Dallas Cowboys 28-16. to I, I had the game on in the background at a family event yesterday, so I saw a fair bit of it, but I, I feel like I need to rewatch this one because I came away with no clue how this happened. Um, I know Dak threw the, the terrible interception in the end zone near the end of the game, but how they got to this point where, where Josh Dobbs, uh, who has now, you know, two weeks in a row of, of competent quarterback play that's giving this team a chance to win games, just kind of leaning into those high percentage, low A dot throws, um, which you'd have to figure means that Zach Ertz would continue to be leaned on quite a bit for this passing offense. Right, Nate? Uh, that was not the case in this one. We saw Ertz see his playing time decline a bit. They started rotating him out a lot more than they were the previous week. And this has been kind of a two week thing for him. Um, he started the season as the primary tight end in week one, took all 24 snaps out of 11 personnel uh, that dropped to 12 snaps out of 11 personnel a week ago, and then 11 snaps this week. Um, a lot of his decrease in particular this week also came in 12 personnel. Uh, he had been taking the majority of snaps in 12 personnel before. Now he's playing below 50% of snaps in 12 personnel. Uh Part of this, I believe, is Trey McBride is also playing well. He's averaging 1.78 yards per route run. He is grading well in his limited uh, snaps and opportunities where Ertz only has 1.17 yards per route run, which is a pretty remarkable difference considering Ertz has had a huge targets per route so far this season. So Ertz, probably someone that's okay putting back on the waiver wire, especially if you have a decent other option at tight end. Uh, tight end's been a very interesting position so far this year. Uh, a lot of the guys that we expected to do well, uh, maybe not putting up as great of numbers as we expected, but still relatively playing better than most other tight ends. And then a lot of the guys that we were saying to avoid a bunch of the players that are near the bottom in yards per run among tight ends this year, the Dalton Schultzes, um, Pat Fryermuth. Uh, David Njoku, all three tight ends near the bottom in that stat so far this season. And then we have the rookies that we were hoping would do well, and especially Sam Laporte is doing well. But um, or it's someone I'm probably fine cutting, and the only thing is there's not really that many great new options at tight end on the waiver wire this week compared to the last few weeks. Yeah, I, I that that's probably the reason that I'm I'm holding Ertz the most is it where in leagues that you're already rostering him and and have needed to use him, it's probably deep enough that you want, might want to hold him for another week because there aren't like you said a lot of new options on the waiver wire. But also, I, I feel like. I don't know that maybe there's room for earth still to kind of get involved in the offense here, just because of how this offense has been operating here early on. Like I mentioned that with more easy throws for the quarterback, that should typically be a positive for the tight end, but 
like you said, he'll, he'll need to be on the field to benefit from that. So if we don't see those snaps kind of come back up, then that's where he becomes more droppable for me. But I think I'm probably still holding in those in some of those deeper leagues. Um, if we do see a Trey McBride takeover, then there's at least reason to kind of swap them there. But 65 64% route participation in this offense for Earth's not a positive number, but still ahead of McBride at 36% right now. So just one to kind of monitor going forward if we do see that takeover, like you said, as uh, McBride has been a bit more uh, efficient and effective with his uh, opportunities. Yeah, I'd like to see at least 68 or 70 mm-hmm. or somewhere in that raindrop participation. So, But like you said, it completely depends on the league. And since a lot of people were picking up, so they probably drafted a tight end, and it just depends on if they're happy with the tight end they drafted or not. For sure. Um, all right, one more tight end to talk about here. And it is a name that I don't think many listeners have heard before, but uh, he is playing on arguably the best offense in the NFL right now. So, Nate... Tell us about Miami Dolphins tight end Julian Hill. Uh, Yes, Julian Hill, undrafted rookie out of Campbell University. Uh, Plenty of times when I'm tweeting out about, hey, you should probably be picking up this guy on the waiver wire. I get plenty of replies about how this player is not available (laughs) in your league or in their league and making fun of people who only play in 10 team leagues and that kind of stuff. It's perfectly fine to play in 10 team leagues, by the way, that, let people enjoy themselves playing fantasy football. But I did want to include someone um, who is available in 100% of ESPN leagues. Um, Hill was inactive these past two weeks uh, due to an ankle injury. Um, Also, I believe missed some time in the preseason. Uh, We saw Durham Smythe uh, be the Dolphins primary tight end over the first two weeks. And he, uh, almost seemed like a decent waiver wire option because he played 100% of snaps in week one, 97% of snaps in week two, was seeing a decent amount of targets. But we saw Hill uh, come back from injury this week and basically take over that top tight end spot, uh, played 30 of a possible 32 snaps in 11 personnel, um, took the snaps in two tight end sets, and slightly over half the snaps in 21 personnel. So he is already seeing the playing time that you would hope to see out of a fantasy starting tight end. Um, The only thing is he was only targeted once and didn't catch that target. So I'm suggesting adding someone who has never caught a pass in an NFL game before, but especially in deeper leagues though, like he's in a dolphins offense that we just saw put up 70 points. The defenses are completely focused on everyone else in the offense. So there should be games this season where Hill is probably going to be underlooked and seeing a decent number of targets. And if the dolphins are trusting him enough to put him as the clear starting tight end in his first NFL game, when they could just have easily eased him into action. Durham Smythe was still on the roster and playing so much those past two weeks that, they could have easily had Smythe just see a slight decrease in snaps and ease Hill in, but they were happy to put Hill in for the entire game. So um, they trust Hill at this point. So I'm willing to at least take a chance, especially um, there's one league I'm in 14 team dynasty league where we have a good, like 45 people on the roster and Hill is available. So I finally get to mention someone who's available in that league. Hopefully no one in that league is listing right now or read my recap article. So hopefully I'm able to pick him up without much trouble, but um, hell, I think is someone to at least keep an eye on going forward in Miami. 
Yeah, su- super interesting one here. I mean, th- I thought I was looking at it too, and, and Durham Smythe did start the game. He played the first five or five of the first six passing down snaps for Miami, but then we only saw him two more times the rest of the game after that. So part of me was wondering if maybe he was dealing with some kind of injury or, or heat exhaustion or, or whatever, just because uh, because of his starting status there and then essentially leaving the game without coming back in. So I haven't been able to find anything on that yet but just maybe something to kind of keep an eye on. But that being said, like you you mentioned, if it really does turn out to be the Julian Hill kind of takeover here, then the same reasons we like Durham Smythe can be applied to Hill here in a pass-heavy offense, uh, a very good offense. So he's bound to see some fantasy value there by default, even if he isn't you know one of the top options, obviously, like you said, one target in this game. But there's enough volume there typically to go around and, and get him involved for those deeper leagues. So that was uh, that was cool to see. Um, all right. Anything else, uh, from, uh, this weekend's games that we want to go on, uh, touch on here before going on? Uh, no, I'll just mention that, um, the past two weeks we went over every game. And if you do want that analysis for every game, I do have my recap that went up immediately during the game. So writing about the early games during the late game window, writing about the late game window, uh, right before Sunday night football and during Sunday night football. So that'll be available every week and after these Monday night football games as well. So if you want that same level of detail that you got the first two weeks on the podcast, uh, you can find that in my immediate fantasy football takeaways article. Beautiful. Yeah, definitely check that out on pff.com. We did get a trade question come in from the uh, YouTube crowd here. Nathan Marchand asks, uh, I got offered Pacheco and Pittman. For Kamara and Dobbs, so Romeo Dobbs, my receivers are A.J. Brown, Jalen Waddle, Tyler Lockett, Christian Watson, Tank Dell, and Gabe Davis. Running backs are Christian McCaffrey, Alexander Madison, Alvin Kamara, and Kenneth Gainwell. Should I accept? I'm going to go with probably not. I think the strength of this roster definitely is that wide receiver. Having Brown, Waddle, Lockett, having Tank Dell as that sleeper, and hopefully Watson is able to get healthy at some point where the running backs, obviously McCaffrey's strong, but after that, we don't know exactly what will happen with Madison's usage once Cam Akers gets involved. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell, who knows what will happen. We'll see tonight with him and DeAndre Swift. So Kamara, especially in the Saints' backfield with Jamal Williams and landing on injured reserve. Uh, We saw Kendra Miller get involved uh, yesterday, but it was only roughly half of the offensive snap. So I think now that Kamara's suspension is going to be over, uh, I'm probably more optimistic about Kamara now than I was throughout most of the offseason with uh, the things that the other Saints running backs have been dealing with. So um, I'd probably rather have Kamara on the roster than Pacheco. I think Pacheco will just continue having the same role that he had last year and has had so far this season, the primary runner for Kansas City, but will not get the passing down work, uh, will not get some of the short yardage work, especially because Kansas City loves to pass the ball when they're close to the goal line where a lot of other teams will run in those situations. So Pacheco will continue to be a borderline fantasy starter where I think Kamara has much more upside. So would rather have Kamara than Pacheco, and I don't think the wide receivers here matter all that much because you're probably not going to be starting either Pittman or Dobbs too much when you have all of those other wide receivers on your roster. Beautiful. Awesome stuff there. Hope that helps, Nathan. Um, and don't forget to uh, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Again, that helps us help you going uh, forward. But 
that's going to do it for another weekly recap uh, with not, again, not as much changing now week to week. We could probably stick to this top takeaway style of doing things. So hope you all found that helpful. Um, and like Nate said, you can always find the full recaps from every game on PFF.com. So thank you all for listening, Nate. Thank you to you as well for pulling all this data all Sunday long to get it out there for the good people. Um, before you go, please remind everyone what they can find on PFF.com this week. Sure. So you have the recap article we mentioned. We have the top 10 article that we just went through. So you don't need to read that now that you've listened to it. But also at the waiver wire article, um, it's been going up Monday mornings around oh, 1.30 a.m. or so. Hopefully we'll start getting that out a little bit earlier once we start having some more bye weeks. So the recap articles aren't taking quite as long to write, but hopefully we'll get those waiver articles out sooner. Uh, tomorrow will be the usual five to add, five to drop, five to buy low, five to sell high. Um, we'll also have my rest of season rankings out tomorrow. Uh, tonight we have the two Monday night football games again for another week. So we'll have the Monday night recap covering both of those games out tonight, uh, while those games are concluding. And then we'll also have the usual, uh, week four rankings on Wednesday and starts or yeah, start set on Thursday. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, again, thank you all for listening. Uh, a big thank you again to the PFF data collection team who was able to accurately chart these games and get this information out there at an unreal pace as well, which is why they are the best team in the multiverse. Um, a massive thank you again to all of you guys for listening as well. Nate and I will be back tomorrow talking waiver wire targets. So I hope you'll all join us for that. And until then, peace out.